to the rain is not very easy since it's wet like a wet blanket but i i think uh, today first of all i want to apologize for the delay in the show and it'll be a little bit shorter but apparently a windows 11 update happened on my system and there was no way out of that one <laughs> there was like zero way out of it i was actually thinking of firing up the other one the minute i did unfortunately that one also had automatic update then i thought maybe i can drive over and get my mac and i was like you know what forget it it, it wasn't meant to and with that update i have to redo some things to get my my drive oh i just don't even want to get into it it's been a hot mess so um today i wanted to talk about um something that i that i saw that warren buffett did but don't have the documentation in front of me and i don't want to talk without giving it because no one's ever talked about this like i searched youtube for information or websites from and no one has so i don't want to give out anything that's wrong or any uh superficial so i sincerely apologize i mean yesterday i had a great guest but nevertheless we'll still get news um i thought i could introduce you to someone that you probably haven't seen before but you see him a lot um recently somehow in a way not really maybe i don't know you tell me but uh <laughs> i think we should um take a watch slash listen to this and then we'll have like a little discussion about betrayal because betrayal is key betrayal here we go 
President-elect Joe Biden turned 78 yesterday. yesterday. Today, we had a chance to catch up with his brother, who has ties to Palm Beach County, and asked him about not just these past two weeks, but the election season and what's ahead for the president-elect. Quite honestly, we've gone through hell in this uh, election. Frank Biden was in Boca Raton Saturday, where alongside colleagues at the Berman Law Group handed out turkeys. We're talking about not uh, not the abjectly poor. We're talking about people in the middle class. We're talking about friends of mine and yours who uh, who would typically never, ever need this sort of assistance. We asked him what he thinks about President Donald Trump's refusal so far to concede the election. It's irrelevant. Uh, it doesn't matter one way or another. Joe will be sworn in on the 20th. Frank Biden said he spoke yesterday with his brother, who turned 78 Friday. He says they speak almost every day and has confidence that as someone who's experienced so much personal loss, President-elect has the empathy to lead the country out of the pandemic. He will surround himself with the very, very brightest people on the face of the earth. We will listen to the scientists. Biden also added the president-elect has worked across the aisle before and says his brother will work to heal the soul of the nation. That means we don't point fingers. We don't hold resentments. We stop with the grudge match. We find positions where we have common interests. Frank Biden said his family's favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. And while they're not getting together this week, he is looking forward to seeing family in the future. That's because Joe Biden was busy hanging out with Dominion's lawyers on November 7th after he was supposedly selected. You know, people don't want to talk about that. People don't want to talk about how Dominion lawyered up with, uh, you know, assistant uh, director to Comey, right? People don't want to talk about how that same attorney for Dominion was on the Mueller investigation. People don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about, you know, frou-frou and perfumes and, and, and tutus and crack and cocaine and, oh, look at this. People don't want to talk about the reality of things. And that's where I feel betrayed. I think every American does. And that's exactly what we're feeling. You know, betrayal comes in many forms. I'm sure a lot of us would be like, oh, I've been betrayed. But in, in essence, scientifically speaking, it's the sense, the feeling that you've been harmed by intentional, knowingly and willingly, actions or omissions of someone you trust. The most common, you know, types of betrayal, people are like, you know, someone disclosed, you know, confidential information, you know, uh, you know, infidelity, right? Dishonesty, someone stealing something, disloyalty, someone freaking out, and then, you know, mental abuse, you know, these things. And, you know, betrayal can be traumatic and cause considerable stress on someone. And there are many things that come out of betrayal. You feel loss and grief, right? Uh, you know, I thought I loved this person or I thought they were my friend or, you know, um, you know, you're, you're in shock, right? Or you're, you know, insanely preoccupied, you know, like you're fixated in your mind. Oh my gosh, I was betrayed, right? Uh, it damages your self-esteem. You, you get angry. You have like a rage. Right? And then you doubt yourself. Because if, if you were betrayed and you were blindsided like that, you've got to be either stupid or gullible, right? So now think of it 
as a nation, no matter where you sit on the aisle, left, right, right? Everyone feels betrayed. They don't know, should they be wearing masks? Should they not be wearing masks? I mean, everyone's confused. Is the CDC in charge? Obviously, they're not anymore. They're irrelevant, according to the same people that were saying that they were the epitome. They were the authority on everything. And now they're becoming irrelevant, <laughs> you know, and, you know, your press secretary can't talk, can't talk about masks, can't tell you what to think about masks. Well, no, but uh, they can, they can insist. They still insist. The white house is still insisting that people wear masks indoors, right? They refuse to bow to the pressure. This, this is betrayal. As a whole nation, we have been betrayed by people's agencies, the media. You don't even know who to trust. Who's just an opportunist? You know, like Jack Posobiec, people think he's an opportunist. I'm telling you, he's an operative, period. End of story. Right? He does look like a bit of a little, you know, a little bitch opportunist, you know, kind of Griffin. When I saw him take what Millie had and then go on Bannon and pretend that shit was his. And then he wrote a book about it. And, you know, and it, and it was and it was a guy, you know, that that <laughs> I mean, come on. Betrayal comes in a lot of shapes and forms. I mean, listen to this point blank question. Can't even answer it. Tomorrow is expected to be these, uh, this Russia Belarus military exercise. Mm -hmm. um, is it the sense of this administration that what's expected to be this massive show of force tomorrow and for the next few days after that um, could provide some sort of cover for an invasion? And is the White House and our its allies on any kind of heightened alert given what's expected to happen? I wouldn't make a prediction of that. I'm sure your colleagues will ask the Pentagon that question. But I think as we look at the preparation for these military exercises, again, we see this as certainly more of an escalatory, not a de-escalatory action uh, as it relates to those troops uh, and the military exercises. This is happening at the border of, of uh, at the border as well. Uh, so uh, that is certainly concerning to us. But I wouldn't make a prediction of what it means in terms of invasion. And back to masks, not to belabor it. Yeah. But, um, in a, in a matter of weeks, Americans have heard the White House say masks are so important, you should get online and order yours for your family right now. Uh, you've got now this wave of states that are saying, actually, you don't have to necessarily wear masks. We're going to do away with some of these mandates. And now you've got the CDC saying its guidance stands. We're going to review things, but the guidance stands. Can you blame Americans for being confused and frustrated and having no idea who they should be listening to right now? Well, our guidance is consistently, has consistently been this. Uh, when you are in a high transmission area, which is everywhere in the country, you should wear a mask in indoor settings, including schools. Uh, there are states uh, that have uh, rolled back their mask guidelines, that have given more flexibility to communities. They're different, it's not uniform, what every state has done. Uh, and certainly we continue to advise and recommend abiding by public health guidelines. Americans are confused by what's happening? Well, I, I think we should do everything we can to prevent them from being confused. So I'm restating what our policy is here from the federal government, which is based on public health guidelines. Does the CDC run the risk of becoming irrelevant in the minds of many Americans, given that their states are moving along ahead without them? Well, I don't think the, the uh, federal uh, experts on health and medical advice should be irrelevant to Americans at a time where we're still facing a pandemic. But they are.
And you know what that tells you? Just that press conference, what it tells you? Nobody gives a shit what this administration is putting out. No one's buying it anymore. That's basically it. That is the bottom line. The CDC is not an authority we've elected to dictate how we live our lives. I'm in charge of my body. What happened to my body? My choice. It only counts when you're going to murder something. Stop. Stop. Right? So here we are where we have an administration, supposed administration, selected, of course, that no one's listening to. The states don't give a shit. The left is like so tired of it. Even these lefties that wear the masks all the time, they're below their nose. They like don't even care. They're just doing it to comply because they're mindless, right? And you know what sucks? My case is still not ruled out since September for the mask mandate uh, you know, lawsuit that I filed against the school board district of my daughter where I enjoined Governor DeWine. I mean, I'm still waiting to see that out. I have to file something and I've been so busy. I might be like, Hey, you know, I don't know if I can, but you know, I am pro se. So I'll read the rules and whatever. Right. Or I'll just leave it lie. The judge is a good judge. A lot of people are like, he's a Clinton judge. He's this, I think he's a fair judge. He looks at it and he sees the law. I mean, he was the judge that was presiding over election fraud in Ohio in 2004. So what a freaking coincidence that is. But anyway, I digress. Betrayal. We feel betrayed. In fact, a lot of Americans at this point have, and I've seen, them have life-altering changes in the way they view things. It's actually catastrophic betrayal, what we are going through. There's, uh, you know, PTSD, anxiety disorders. You're a knock on the door and you see a cop. You're like, I'm dead, right? If you hear the FBI is investigating, you're like, that means nothing to me. If you hear the administration said this, that still means nothing to you, right? You just like, it's, you don't care anymore. It makes no sense. You don't want to know. I'm done with it. Right? That's what, <laughs> that's what it is. But I want to say that even though betrayal comes in many shapes and forms, betrayal also, when not embraced in a fixated way, can make a person grow, right? And in our case, it can help our nation grow. Now, while I had a I wanted a forced installment. <laughs> that was my fault. I clicked next, next for the one. The other one just did it on its own. But while I um, had this schnafu, right, with my electronics, I actually had the pleasure of speaking to someone who, you know, I was angry, but not like bitchy. Well, I was bitchy toward only because of the way things were dismissed. And Actually, after this show, I'm going to be like, you know, I know you said sorry, but I should say sorry, too, because I felt betrayed. I felt betrayed as a person that at the time that, you know, I sat there and I provided my grievances that were completely warranted and completely backed. You know, no one paid attention. You know how many times 
I heard you're just upset because Ali Akbar talks smack about you. I could give two craps what that tinkle, twinkle toes, tiny dancer, call rove lover has to say about me. He's a nobody, right? He's absolutely nobody. He's just an operative. But people thought because he was talking smack about me, that was talking smack about me, uh, that because I was making allegations that he was involved in creating that proximity to President Trump, that it was, you know, I'm just, I'm just salty. And it's like, do you know how many other people that are maybe of higher stature have talked crap about me? And I've never thrown them under the bus or made any such allegation, right? And now all of, everyone is starting to see it unfold, the whole plot, right? The fact that the vice president had collude. I will take you back to a show. I think it was 2018 where I had told the world, I do not trust Pence at all. And this isn't going by conspiracy theories or stories or statements of his nefarious activities that are various and vast. But it was based on the fact of his interaction that he had at a White House event with the sheriffs, the National Sheriffs Association. And you can search that up on torysaid.com. Uh, thank God to whoever did it, because when I'm far gone, people are still going to be looking at some things that were said that will be providing more to tidy up all the trials that will be happening later. But the important part that I saw was that if you look at the Sheriff's Association video carefully, you will realize that all the sheriffs were all standing there in their little outfits looking cute. And there was this random sheriff that was wearing open toe shoes. Like, who does that? For anyone that has served or been around people that served or you're going to the White House, you don't wear flip-flops. And that specific sheriff was actually under investigation from some really, really bad stuff. Really bad stuff. And that sheriff had snuck a note to Pence that he slipped into his pocket in the most quickest and sneakiest way. So that was flag number two for me. Flag number one for me happened in 2017. Flag number one for me happened in 2017 because just less than 72 hours after I alerted the White House of a crime of extortion between the U.S. Army Corps engineer and the state of North Dakota, he flew without permission and without telling the president of the United States to North Dakota. With, with less than 72 hours, he flew up there. And in less than 30 days, I had everybody and their mother up any orifice I had with secret subpoenas. So you had a vice president that had an unscheduled, unauthorized trip to one of the most important Air Force bases we have in our nation. Less than 72 hours after I alerted of a $180 million scheme that had been ongoing 
for over six years between the state of North Dakota and the U.S. Army Corps engineers. And so he just appeared to meet with the attorney general and the governor. And 30 days later, I had the attorney general and the whole state up my butt. So that was red flag number one for me. But I didn't pin it because I was like, well, you know, it might have been coincidence, might have been secret service deployment for whatever, XYZ, XYZ, no big deal. I appeared there, didn't seem like it was nefarious. It wasn't until after the fact that I was like, holy crap, how did I not see that? Because I was in the thick of the woods, can't see how big the forest is. You can't tell. You can't tell. You can't tell. But in 2018, that note, that slick movement, that is not someone who's open, honest, and careful. Now, I'll tell you something about Mike Pence. He's not very bright. He delegates a lot of the things. And he likes to be removed as if his hands are clean when people do things. Now, clean hands. This is why it was very important, and I found it quite peculiar and very interesting that the president of the United States tasked everything that had to do with COVID to him. It was all Pence, remember? Pence is taking care of that. Pence is taking care of that. He's in charge. Pence is taking care of that. You remember that? I applauded him for that. It is the dirtiest thing I had ever seen, and I was so Proud to see him finally step up and say, nah, man, I'm going to put you right there in the fire line. And it was down to him what was going to happen with our election. That evening, he went back with Pelosi. That filing for the emergency intervention was slow walked because of incompetent attorney. Maybe Emily is young. Could have been just a mistake. I don't know. But the thing is, him and Pelosi had a chat. and they colluded. And the thing is, it was multiple people working together for one thing, to reclaim the power they lost. Because while they put, while they allowed President Trump to go in, because they were like, holy crap, someone disconnected our ability to deploy algorithms. This is a problem. They may have been recording everything. We got caught in Georgia and the damn stupid then Kemp as uh, Secretary of State uh, announced on CNN, Russians were in our machines. And then the next day he's like, oh, no, it wasn't Russians. It was DHS. And it's like, wait a minute. I thought they weren't connected to the internet. How the hell did DHS get into your machines? And it's like crickets. Nobody talked about it afterwards. Everyone was like, I don't know what you're talking about. So they were going to get caught. If they had contested the election result, they would have gotten caught. This is why it took so long for Hillary Clinton to concede. Some may say that she took so long to concede because she was upset, which is true. She was fucking pissed. But the fact of the matter is some person made sure that there was no ability for them to connect from the center that they had for non-attribution. And this is why they had to go through a secondary area, but they got caught because they couldn't cloak themselves well enough. So they could not cover it up. And when they determined that, oh my gosh, we may be compromised, there may be pictures, there may be recordings, they knew where we were, they knew what was happening, they knew that we were going to be in New Brunswick in Georgia, they knew, they knew, they knew, they knew, they conceded and said, it's all right. 
We're going to nail him out. We already got FISA warrants when we were doing that oppo research. So we can knock out anybody that's trying to, you know, to stall us. We're all good. We're going to take him out. So that's where Pence came in and knocked out General Flynn perfectly. Perfectly. Why? Because General Flynn was on the phone with the Russian counterpart. Are you kidding me? That fat idiot, Ambassador Taft, his daughter from the State Department, and you can quote me on this, was the one that was communicating with Nellie Orr to get that shit done, to get the dossiers coll- 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 nah, collated. She was in the USA Department. That fat fuck, excuse my French, because every time I think of him, I think of just how disgusting he is. He used to be, and he he was the ambassador for all of Eastern Europe and Russia, right? So <clears throat> he clearly unmasked General Flynn around Thanksgiving. So this is before the phone call, right? Before that phone call that they alleged, right? Before the phone call that they alleged General Flynn had, this guy unmasked him. They had it all figured out, all figured out down to the T, except they didn't figure out the T part, but they had it all figured out. They were everywhere. The presidential transition team had their assets in place. They empowered them like crazy. They ensured that they felt like they had a free pass, hunting licenses and all. And so what was insane is that though all of this was happening, they still couldn't get rid of Trump. He couldn't get impeached. They couldn't impeach him. (laughs) Jamie Raskin failed twice. (laughs) Third time's a charm, right? Maybe it'll be a boomerang. And so as they attempted to constantly trap and squeeze the president, embarrass him, talk smack on him. There was so much lawfare. They sued him constantly. They were constantly suing him. They were constantly attacking him. They were constantly putting out information that made no sense and had no sense and no reason to be out there. They deployed unlimited investigations on this man, trashed him, and I'm pretty sure that more than 50% of you were also trashing him because this is how it works. They demoralize you and then they tell you what to think, tell you how to talk, and they push, push, push. It's always the same thing. Guilty by association. Let's build people up. But then I'm just going to tell you, they got smarter. After the failed impeachment, they created an environment in late 2019 that no one would have foreseen. It was brilliant. Aside from creating Operation Gridlock, which was bringing a lot of people to an elevated status, meaning they had assets that were saying all the right things you wanted to know. They had hijacked and created a massive psychological operation to be hijacked and deployed. 
It grew out of control. They took advantage of that. Many people took advantage of that. They made a lot of money. And they did it on purpose. Like all these red string channels, huh? Foreign money, like, yeah, foreign money. And they allowed them to have YouTube channels with half a million people raking in tens of thousands of dollars a month. When you heard them complaining, bitch, you cut off a big stream of income. Big stream. I'm going to tell you how big that stream was. So I never got this money from YouTube ever, 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 right? I remember when I put Shadowgate up, it was up for only two days. It had one point, it had a, a, a little over a million views. That one video generated an income of over $8,000. I never saw that money. YouTube kept it. Even though they owed it to me after they banned me two weeks later, they still owed me that money. They never gave it to me. But that one video was $8,000, one video. So I want you to think, all those people that you were watching on YouTube, how quickly they were elevated into status, right, of praying for you, of decoding for you, of telling you about the matrix and all that shit. Do you know how much they made? Again, I just want you to do the math on it. One video made $8,000 on YouTube. 8000 I have the receipts. I never got paid, but I have the receipts that they didn't give it to me. They stole that money because that was ad revenue. That was actually, you know, whatever sticker revenue that they kept. They took your money and ran with it because they decided to ban me. So imagine all those people that were generating hundreds of thousands of views a day, right? On multiple videos, suddenly get cut off. That was it. They created Operation Gridlock to get you guys all addicted to being popular. To elevating you to a point where you need to be on Twitter because you have 10,000 followers, 20,000 followers, right? Where you had a quarter million followers. Oh my gosh, so-and-so retweeted me and you were like freaking out. And you would always tweet out, I'll follow you, you follow me back, join the Trump trade. That was the most genius deployment because... They messed with every American's head, every American that had their finger on the pulse, listening to the president, watching what was happening, right? Was part of Operation Gridlock. And I was talking about Operation Gridlock on my show. I was like, don't follow people just because they're following you. Do you know how many DMs I had? They follow me back. And it's like, fuck that. I can't read a thousand people that I follow a day. That's a thousand tweets. How am I going to read a thousand tweets in one day? Are you insane? Probably if I fast scroll, but I'm not going to follow all that because then I'm going to not see the news. I'm not going to see what's happening. Instead, I'm just going to be seeing Trump trains and Q posts and people talking about Q posts and threads by truthers and freaking praying medics and all that crap. And I'm not going to see the actual news of what's going on in Iraq, what's going on in Iran, what's going on in Turkey, what's going on in Europe, what's going on in Sudan. I'm not going to see any of that. And that was the point. They created the best operation. They elevated you to heights you can't even imagine. You were elated. And not only that, it wasn't meant for you, the people. It was meant for people of a certain status.
see, in their mind, you're either verified or have hundreds of thousands of followers. Now, if you have hundreds of thousands of followers, you must be someone legit and you must be someone that uh, they should listen to. And therefore, that actually carried on into real life. So people like, you know, Sidney Powell, General Flynn, and, all, you know, all these people would listen to people that had a big following, even though it was an inflated following. Uh, this, is, this is reality. Everyone was victim to it. Staffers at the White House would talk to people that had big followings, right? Uh, this is how they operated. They use that to their advantage to push through the voices that they wanted them to see and not the truth. They didn't want you to see the news. How did Jack Posobiec with his Oz and O's blow up? I don't get it. You know, this guy comes back from whatever duty he was doing and he's inserted into the Trump campaign, hustling burgers, and suddenly he's on OAN. How did that happen? Right? How did that happen? See, this is the problem. There were a lot of people that were inserted into the movement simply to inflate it, not just for you to block your ability to see the news, but in order to sway the opinions of those that in the future would be important to mitigating whatever the hell they were doing. And making them less important. Like, you know, everyone's like, I got banned. I got banned. Do you know how many accounts I went through? I think like one, two, three, five accounts. Five accounts. And each one of them was, well, except for the, the third, the second, no, the third one. Except for the third one that was trashed at about 10,000. And that's because I used the same device. That was dumb of me, right? Because they use your device ID. Every single one of them had like uh, the minute I would get about a hundred thousand, they would knock me out immediately. The minute I would elevate the minute I was, I could have 20,000 followers, but I would have eight, 900 retweets, right? That's way more than the average, right? Cause it was actually organic. So they elevated everyone, not just for you guys. So they can emotionally mess with your mind. But they did it in order to give certain people a stature, right? And a position in the alleged movement, only to then cut them off. They were complete assets. Every single one of them, knowingly, unknowingly, willingly, unwillingly. I mean, this is why they're there. This is why they were there. And, 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 I, and I see, you know, I, I've said this before, you can't connect the dots forward, but you can connect them backwards. You can definitely connect them backwards. And that is how you can see what their operation was. And so they brought you to a high just to knock you down. How many of you, and you don't have to admit it because it's embarrassing when you admit something like that so shallow, but it's, it is the 2020s, okay? Many of you were devastated when you lost all your followers and you had to start all over again. You were just like, oh my gosh, am I just tweeting into the ether? I remember when I was knocked out, I was with Red State Radio and Scott Adams, not the Dilbert guy, but the guy that, you know, 
inherited the station, the, uh, the station, he said to me, Oh my gosh, you only have like, you know, five followers now. And I'm one of them. Damn, that sucks. And I was like, uh, if my message is right, people will find me. I really don't care. I'm still going to tweet because I'm making public record. And, you know, suddenly I got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then, you know, the minute I hit big <clears throat> out, Tori goes <laughs> out, Tori, if you can't have her putting out that truth. Right. So, um, this was important because this is how they psychologically mind they 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 primed your mind to take you out and make you feel like outcasts that if you're not on our platform you're nobody nobody goes to fucking twitter anymore have you seen people on twitter they get like 5 likes maybe 10 maybe 20 you know, and if someone actually goes there to look at the news, maybe they'll retweet it. The only person's tweets that I care to see there are Elon Musk's. That's it. I just want to see what he has to say because he's funny. That's it. Twitter's dead. It's over. I don't even know why it exists. Nobody's on there anymore. And then Telegram at some point may be taken out too, but I don't know. It is one of the greatest experiments they've ever had. Not only do you have a Twitter-esque type environment, but you have file sharing, video sharing. I mean, it's, it's annihilated Facebook and Twitter right now. So it is the middle platform that everyone is watching to see how they can replicate it to make it better. I'm just saying. And Telegram is a pretty stable environment too. So Gab is great too. I like Gab. I like Gab, but, uh, you know, I find it that I have to, um, yeah, I know. I like Gab. I like Gab. I'm, I'm an investor. I like Gab. Right. Uh, I don't go to get her. They scrape data and the story. I saw the Chinese code behind it. And, you know, that's that's my problem. I mean, you're going to say, are you racist against China? No, but I'm, I have a problem when they're collecting my data. Right. I have a problem when they're collecting my data because they're collecting my DNA. They're collecting my information. They're collecting my my emails. They're collecting my texts, my likes, my videos. For that reason, you know, I refuse to get on Getter. Right. And then I like Frank's speech. Right but I can only do it from the website. I mean, there's Roku, but yeah, I'm not going to use Roku. So um, hopefully um, the development that um, Mike Lindell is looking to do can develop that uh, to be a little bit more uh, user-friendly. Um, so I like it though. And then there's Patriot, Patriot Pals. I like that too. That's more like the adult uh, conservative channel. Love that. Um, but in the end, everyone had to sit down and kind of think, what do I do now with no following? What do I do following? And it was never about following. It was about having conversations. And this is why when I came to Telegram um, <clears throat> in 2019, it was 2018 that I like got onto it personally. But in 2019, I started posting to it. And I liked it because it was more, here's my channel for just whatever I want to say and here world, take a look at it. And here's another one where, um, you know, I sit down and I just have conversations with people. That was the point of Twitter is that people would like conversations. They would share your conversation and they were engaging conversation. And what Twitter did was it created an environment where you couldn't have a conversation anymore, right? You couldn't have a conversation anymore. So uh, Telegram has actually filled that hole. And now with that fulfillment of that hole, that emptiness that people felt, um, you know, people are, are more confident. They, they see that they don't feel the need to, to be followed 
right? They don't feel the need that they need to follow because they can have conversations with a shit ton of people at the same time and, you know, um, get the same effect, the effect, the pseudo effect that Twitter was giving. So they can't deploy that PSYOP again on the people. They can't. But it was genius because it didn't work just on you. It worked on the people that have titles, that have tiaras, where they were so blinded saying, well, it can't be the millions of people are thumping this Habsburger jaw and he's so bad. But yes, indeed, he was. I mean, he was Lincoln Project. Oh, you know, people make mistakes. They commit felonies and break into cars when they're younger and steal credit cards. No big deal. A lot of people have, you know, sex tapes with the former chief of staff of the White House under Bush. You know, these are things that they dismissed and didn't even look at. And they're just like, are you freaking kidding me? Like the guy is disgusting. He's a trained operative. And you didn't see it. But no, they didn't because they're human just like you. And they were also touched by this operation. Psychological operation doesn't say, oh, I'm just going to psychologically affect 18 to 30 years old that have an income of so much. It affects everybody. It's a different degrees, of course, right? But it affects everyone. And that's what happened. During that time in November, just like um, my guest yesterday, Mike Tremarco, during November, that was the problem. There were so many titles and tiaras and so many important people that they didn't listen to actual information. They didn't want to know information. They just wanted to say, who is this guy? Let me check. Let me check. Let me check. It doesn't matter. It could have been, you know, uh, the, you know, the guy that sells pretzels on the corner on West 54th, right? That saw something and, and he brings something and no one wants to see it because they don't know who that is. And yet we have people like with Habsburg straws, you know, tweeting out for people. And now because those people are supposedly helping us, we're not supposed to talk about it. And it's like, fuck it. I'll talk about Fincham. No one's going to make me shut up. I don't care. End of story. The bottom line is we are in a predicament as a nation where now the tables have turned. We are seeing straight through the BS that they're pushing. We can't unsee that stuff. And it's game over for them. And many people say, well, when's something going to happen? Well, what are you doing to make it happen? The only way you can fix this is by replacing every single person in every single office with people, not politicians. If you have someone that's been in your state Senate for 15 years and now they're running for governor, auditor, whatever the hell they're running, get rid of them. Remember, the losers usually... Usually your state legislators are loser lawyers that have no money that are bottom feeders, ambulance chasers. Maybe they've got a case here and there and that's it. And they will jump at the highest price. So then why are we electing them into these positions? I mean, look in your state, look at your governor, look at your AG, look at your secretary of state. Look at your state auditors, look at your insurance commissioners, whatever, whatever other position is elected that's executive, that's not state legislature. I'm just saying, look at the executive uh, you know, positions. Every single one of them has started at state legislature. Every single one of them has climbed up their ladder and proven their worth by kissing the ring to get to where they are. So you want to get out of off this hamster wheel? You need to fucking get off this ride. You are the consumer and you're being consumed and they're the ones spinning the wheel and you're letting it happen across the nation. Every single one of you are letting it happen.
every single one of you. And this is what the problem is. You guys want it to fix and you think just by Trump walking in, it's going to get fixed. He could probably fix the federal stuff, maybe fix this, maybe fix that, but he's not going to fix it. But that's a band-aid. The only thing you can fix <laughs> is in your hand. The, the, the way to fix this is in your hands, nobody else's. You know, I'm like so tired of, um, you know, having conversations where people are, I just want to get back to how it used to be. Uh, how it used to be was really messed up. How it used to be was you had no idea all this crap was going on. You had no idea that your taxpayer dollar was being used to traffic children and human beings used in obscene, obscene experimentation. You had no idea that you were funding LGBTQ, you know, training in other nations. You had no idea that they were selling your data to everyone. You had no idea that were, they were training AI algorithms in order to give you a citizen score. You had no idea that they were putting in a soft sterilization program. You had no idea that they were giving you HIV slowly. You had no idea that they were making you dependent on them. Yet you want to go back to how it was? I don't get it. I really don't get it. The only way to change this is not with guns and riots and fires. It's to sit down and say, all right, dude, we got to get these people out. Personally, I would have hoped that every single ballot in every single state would have had just an average person running and have 20 million average people behind them running and taking that seat. What makes them smarter than you? How are they better than you? How are they better than you? They're not. They're not better than you. They're the bottom feeders that'll take whatever paycheck from someone so that they could do their bidding in hopes that they'll be tapped to go up to executive power. How is it that in every single state, your DNC or GOP decides what ticket they will endorse. Like I'm looking at some of these candidates and they're like, I'm the candidate that has raised the most money for who? What are you doing with it? Like, you know, I can't talk about it, but I, I have a campaign. I'm thinking, you know, who are you giving this money to? Like, why is it so important that you're raising money? How does that say that you're a good candidate if you're raising money? Does that mean that people back you? Okay, I see. Or is it that you're filling in the right pockets? Huh? Question. See, we, we think of politics as everybody associates the word politics with dirty. End of story. Politics equals dirty. So we got to change that because a statesman, stateswoman, you know, if you want to be technical, I'm okay with being called a statesman, right? Like human, not human woman, woman. <laughs> I mean, it's a men and, and a women, right? Oh my God. But um, I'm okay with being called a statesman. That's exactly what everyone should be. It should be like jury duty. We should all be promoting our children to run for city council and, and county commissioners and, and sheriffs and, 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 and seats within our states and our counties and our cities so they can learn. I mean, they take civics. What about civic duty? I mean, should we like force that, that crap? Like, I'm just saying, like, why isn't it something that is like, you know what? It's like jury duty. I'm going to go serve my city, my county, my, my village, my state, my nation. 
and try to do my best. This is something that we have been doing together since 2020, right? Where we're like, run. And and I say it in a subtle way because I don't want to sound pushy. Because a lot of people are are pushy. And but unfortunately, I see that a lot of people need it spelled out too. I mean, you know, I was like, hey, maybe we should like file lawsuits. And it's like no one was doing anything. So there I go, filing a lawsuit. Hey, maybe we should try this. No one was really getting active. All right, I file it. Hey, why don't we go do this? Hey, we should write a letter. And everyone's like sitting there. What kind of letter? Well, just fucking write it yourself. Nope, I write one. And then, then everyone, you guys did your you stood by thing. Everyone started getting it, right? So now I'm trying to make it a little bit more clear, right? You need to be turning up to these state legislators, to every single person that's running. And you need to hold their feet to the fire. You need to turn up like nobody's business to every single fucking primary there is across this nation and let them know that your voice will be heard. I see so many people sending back letters to the GOP, fix 2020, or we're not talking. Well, let's put our bodies physically where our mouth is. Let's turn up. Let's turn up and get it done, right? Because the only way you fix things, the only way you get rid of Obamacare, the only way you get rid of not having privacy and actually enacting congressionally passed laws that define privacy and disallow private institutions to take your data like Cambridge Analytica did and like so many other military industrial complexes do and sell to foreigners so they can profit off of. The only way to change that is if you do it. If not you, then who, right? Famous words. See, it's, it's, it's in, a, in, a, in a time, I know a lot of people like to credit this statement to George Orwell, but it wasn't. It was actually a woman that for some reason they call a feminist. She wasn't really a feminist, but history wants to remember her as a feminist because she did so much, right? But um, there was this woman in England who started the, um, the women's, uh, freedom league, right. Uh, women's suffrage, but it wasn't like a liberal type thing. Uh, they labeled her as being part of the communist party. They labeled her about X, Y, Z, but she clearly said that the problem that she had, and she would go to these protests, even in her nineties, it's like from the 1800s, dead serious. Um, the problem that we have, it, she said at that time in the 1800s, in the 1800s, I want you to think of that. In the 1800s, right, she said this, that in a, in a period of deceit, in a time of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary action. That was actually said by Charlotte Despard, right? Um, she wrote that. She said that. And yet they have her, this woman was born in 1844, guys, died in 1939. They label her as someone that was part of uh, the Communist Party of Great Britain. Uh, guys, she was a, an actual freedom fighter that they've rewritten to make an icon because they take her words out of context. She had uh, put together the political union, women's social and political union, where the women would actually pay dues so they can uh, get themselves to be heard. That's like, that's like, that's fact. She's the one that did it. It wasn't freaking George Orwell, right? That made that statement. That's real history. She created the um, Humanitarian League. Uh, 
uh, the Labour Party. She was part of the Labour Party in England. Um, you know, she dressed kind of witchy, right? And for some reason, Charlotte Despard is considered some commie feminist, you know, with blue hair screaming at the top of her lungs. I want an abortion. She was completely the opposite of that. And so, you know, that's what they transformed her into because they needed a feminist movement so that they can hijack women that felt inferior. And, you know, because they were, they felt so self-loathing, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop because I'm going to be mean. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going to go into more technical thing where, you know, all that comes, right? The social processing and major clinical disorders come from um, the amygdala, right? (laughs) Among the heaviest neuroanatomical interconnections um, of the amygdala is that of the peripheral cortex or the PRC. And the PRC integrates complex and meaningful, fine-grained distributive representations of objects and conspecifics. Betrayal and anger and all these feelings you have are, are seen to come through the, that structure. Okay? I'm just saying it's from that structure. So it, that is where you have cognition mechanism, you know, uh, placed. So, um, the amygdala PRC interconnections and the variety of the amygdala mediated intangible knowledge representations are key when we talk about typical social behaviors. So I will direct you um, just from that statement in regards to feminism and stuff, okay, to go back, you know, whenever you have time to the brain project that Barack Hussein Obama kicked off, right? where one of the experiments that they have in there, and I've talked about this before, so you can go look on Tori said. One of the experiments there is to have people with their brains wide open, getting their amygdala prodded so that they can anger them, so they can learn how to trigger people, so they can learn how to activate people into anger. And this is, again, for social processing, and major clinical disorders, which all have to have some feedback mechanisms, ergo the dependence on pharmaceuticals, ergo the mandatory vaccinations, and ergo the social cues and the malleability of our youth. And that's all I'm going to say on that. I wanted to dovetail that because feminism was the first way that they did it. So the Obama Brain Initiative can help you on the social path to understand the massive experiment deployed on the nation in regards to that, that's a very subtle undertone. It's like perfume, but it smells like shit, right? So think of a, of a smell of our nation, okay, which is kind of like shit right now. The undertone of it has the Obama brain project. You know how you could say, oh, I smell undertones of sandalwood. That's the Obama brain project, okay? That's how I want you to do your hand like this and smell the air, and the undertone is the Obama brain project, right? There's so many layers to a perfume, right? That's the first, that's the undertone, right, that kind of ties it all together in the end, but isn't that important, that note of Obama brain project? Hence why we have such insane people around. <sighs> Betrayal. We feel it. We see it. We're confused. Who's this? Who's that? 
<clears throat> I make it no um I don't shy away from the fact that I was extremely upset. And every single time I get an opportunity, either that be, you know, fellow friends, fellow dolphin speakers, fellow ninjas, fellow generals, fellow billionaires, fellow lawyers, fellow passerbys, fellow journalists, every opportunity I get, you know, and they're like, oh my gosh. I'm like, fuck you. I told you. And it's not because I want to be like, told you so. It's because I did tell them we were in communication. They understood it and they still dismissed it against their common sense. Right. So like, for example, when in DC, people were submitting affidavits about what happened. I saw Josh Merritt's and I said, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. That's what don't put that in there. And yet she did. And she banked all of it on it. And everybody else did. Why? Oh, well, we can find that he actually served on documentation here. And he was there at that time. Yeah, but he could have been a cook, right? What he's saying doesn't make sense. This is fucking hearsay that he gets from his friends there. This is bullshit. And I said it. So, you know, I, you know, I hate it when people come at me and they're like, oh, you told me so. No, no, no. I'm pointing out how, how. The truth is hidden under layers of bullshit, right? Because they fed you bullshit. Just like when the president was speaking truth, all they were saying is bullshit, 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 bullshit to counter him. Every time he said something, they would attack him with 10 bullshits. And then there would be a lot of people saying, well, I don't like the way he talks, you know, or the Bible thumpers. I can't believe he said that. And it's like, dude, chill out. I still, you know, I, I still sometimes push the envelope. And when someone that says, I, when I order a coffee, they're like, how would you like it? And I still say Puerto Rican. That doesn't mean I'm racist, does it? People are just too offended. And those that claim are conservatives, right, are really not. They get just as offended. They just get even more offended. And, but they're only offended in certain things, right? When you, when you dock their religion, right? Or when you say something they don't like, right? That you don't like a word. Like, do you know how much crap I got for using the word blasphemy? And it's like, it doesn't just mean religion, right? The GOP is a fucking cult. So is the DNC. Uh, <laughs> do I need to tell you that? It's a freaking word. It means nothing about God. It means anything that is a structured belief system. You know, uh, <laughs> so people that claim to be conservative are actually just the same as the left, only they're on the opposite spectrum. A lot of people are. Now, I could sit here and, and, and push my, my, my belief, right? I'm a historical Christian. Catholics are not. They came way after historical Christians. They invented their own Christianity, right? They invented a pope. Okay. They invented a man on earth that supposedly represents God. Fuck that. So if you want to talk blasphemy, I'm just saying for all my Catholics out there. So, you know, you can't pick and choose. You can't pick and choose. I'm sorry. You can't pick and choose. And that's the way it is. Facts and truth. We don't like it. And people hate the truth because then they have to admit that they contributed to the lie. That's the problem. I, you know, <laughs> the worst contribution to a lie is not actively contributing, but passively contributing. When you sit back idly 
you see shit going wrong and you say nothing, that is the worst and the most effective contribution to bullshit and to pain. That's fact. That is 100% fact. When you sit by and you see things and you say nothing, that is worse than actively participating. That makes you worse. It's like those people that there's a chick getting raped in an alleyway and they just walk by and pretend they didn't see it. Right. Um, my daughter, Phoebe, she was showing me a TikTok. She was like, oh my God, look at this. And there was a woman. She was like, how can you tell someone's from New York? And so she started shouting and only one person turned around. She was like, see, that's it. See, that's called desensitization. Like I'm from New York. If I hear someone screaming like that, I'm going to turn around because it's not right that someone's screaming like that. Obviously it could just be a crazy person, right? But it could be someone in aid. Desensitizing yourself from caring about someone next to you is a big deal. You know, I, I kind of feel sad. I, I always wanted neighbors, you know, that I could hang out with. I kind of had that, but I didn't because I was always awkward. I didn't know how to interact with people because, you know, for someone who always had an assumed identity, right, all her life, it was very awkward for me to make friends. I really wanted to like, go over with a basket of muffins. And, hey, I really tried that, but it didn't work out that well because I'm, I'm that awkward, right? Um, and so I want to, but, you know, I got a neighbor that's <laughs> like in my apartment building. I got a neighbor. <laughs> What's the flavor of the month? Uh, you know, and then across from me, it's like dudes, right? So it's like, you know. I don't, I don't, I don't really interact. I could interact. I interact in the hallway, like sometimes. Um, <laughs> and I do have my ring, um, you know, <laughs> bell if I wanted to be, uh, you know, paying attention. But I, I respect people's privacy as long as that they're not in front of my door. Like if they're right in front of my door, I'm going to, I'm going to be watching. Right. But awkwardness, it doesn't mean that you're desensitized. We all need to stop this desensitization where we don't care about our neighbor. We don't care about the random person. And, and this is me talking from a building. I live in Cleveland where my building is surrounded by homeless people and drug uh, dealers and prostitutes all the time because my building houses the central hub of a train station, uh, the DIA, the FBI, federal building is attached to it, right? But I also have a casino and, and a hotel. And the casino attracts all kinds of characters, crazy ass shit too. Uh, a lot of Chinese, <laughs> they love to gamble. But, you know, what I see is a lot of people in, in pain and a lot of people that are desensitized to it. It's kind of like correctional officers, right? Um, I find that being a correctional officer has to be one of the most, uh, uh, eroding to your soul job on the planet. I think people should do that for four years and then become cops. Uh, like a hundred percent. Because, you know, seeing all that pain and all that, those bad people desensitizes you um, from the reality. Um, and our nation has undergone as a population, a, a peak in, in, in overstimulation and uh, increasing desensitization. Uh, that is something that is prevalent. And this is across the board because, you know, uh, about a couple weeks ago, 
was it two weeks ago, maybe I reached out to Sydney Powell and I said, listen, um, my file was the Kraken. I was always called the Kraken. And there was a reason for that. And I need you to sign this affidavit for my lawsuit. And I know, you know, the response was, um, yeah, I, I, but the Kraken was more than just you. And it's like, no, that's not right. It's really not right. That's wrong. It was all, it was used as a marketing tool, right? Because people like the way it sounded. And those of you that have been listening to me on there have heard me use that term way before the elections. And so for me, I, I found it confusing as to why she wouldn't do it. I understand why she didn't do it, but I wanted to believe that she didn't do it for because her lawyer told her to. But now I see why. See, I read this article today that shocked me. She claimed that, um, you know, maybe there wasn't a Kraken. And then she claimed that, you know, there, there's this and that. It was, it was completely confusing. But I'm thinking, you used my term as a marketing tool, made a shit ton of money out of it, promoted the wrong guy, even though it was my affidavit that was the majority of your filing. And, you know, I, I'm going to tell you guys straight out, right? I 100% believe that, you know, the fact that Linwood was added to her, her company and the way her company was set up and how it was done, I already know who did it. I already know how they set her up. It was a setup. And it was a setup, and she was on a high, just like every other person was on a high, just like you would. She did not do this intentionally. I repeat, I believe 100% she did not do this intentionally. I know for a fact in my heart, and I know the person that, you know, that man set that account up. That's the guy that was asking random people to be added to the board, right? So I don't even think Sydney knew that Lynn Wood was added. I'm, I'm dead serious. And I haven't had this conversation with Lynn Wood. I'm just saying. This is me observing, right? Because while everyone was running around like headless chickens, I was paying attention to everything that was happening. I was paying attention to people that were playing, you know, their pretentious bullshit you know, drama shit, right? I was paying attention to who was working with who. I was paying attention to who was swapping with who. But one thing I saw was I saw the same common factor when it came to economics and the people that set things up. So I already know that Sidney Powell was set up. And I know that in the end, the Department of Justice, when they investigate these things, they're going to realize that indeed she was set up. So I believe that. Right now, she's really hurting as a person. And she came into this with good heart and it evolved. It's kind of like, you know, a lot of people um, have won the lottery right, in, in the world, right? And you see a lot of people that uh, take that and, 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 and sow it and they create amazing things, right? They create 
things that help their communities and uh, perpetuate on for three, four generations. But then there's other people that um, piss it all away within six months. Their families divorce, they become assholes, they start talking down to people, and this ego thing pulls up. I think there was very slight on the ego thing, even though other people will beg to differ. I think it was very slight on the ego thing and more on the um, excited train, right? Um, and that's true. And I think, you know, the fact that she said, um, you know, there was no Kraken was a deal that she cut because, you know, either way, I have other people that will sign affidavits to, to, to say that. I mean, you know, people I work with, I mean, I've got it on air and so done. But the thing is, you know, she's in the lawsuit right now with Dominion and her eating some crow and saying, well, you know, maybe there wasn't a crack. And, and you know, they were my witnesses, not me, you know, it kind of gives merit to what I'm saying. She can't be the witness and the freaking attorney. And so, you know, I, I feel so bad for her in the position she's in. And a lot of people say, you're such a sucker. And it's like, no, she was set up. Let's be, you know, she never walked into this thinking I'm going to go in there and, and take money and, and put it there and throw people under the bus and file bullshit cases. She's one attorney that had a team. Her fucking team was the one with the shitty spelling and the, and the grammar I mean, my attorneys look over their shit a couple of times and there'll still be one or two typos, but they had a million of them. Like, I don't even, you know what? Patrick Howley used to give me a lot of shit, big league politics. I sucked at writing, but I would not write something like that. Okay. Being dead honest. And I know a lot of people like to throw people under the bus because it's easier. Just I'm done. I hate them. That's it. We don't understand people anymore. I already know the person that set up the account. I know their name. They were fishing to a bunch of other people. I was actually in proximity to someone physically, right? When they were on the telephone being asked if they'd like to join the board for defending the Republic that they were setting up. So it's like, you know, she was set up. It's not all a hundred percent true. But the ego does play a little bit. And the fact that instead of helping her nation, she rolled over. So they don't pulverize her. You know, with her signing that affidavit and saying the truth, right? Because I, that was my term, right? I said, let's release the Kraken. Let's go. I even said it before the election. Don't make me release the Kraken, right? So many times. If she would have signed that, then it would have been all eyes on me. And that's exactly what Dominion doesn't want. And that's what sucks. The people would be, would be willing to put their reputation and their ego over the fate of their nation. That sucks. That really does suck. Sounds like something, <laughs> you know, losers would do. But it does really hurt to make such a decision that may be sound on a legal standpoint for her, but it's not sound for us. 
Um, on that note, let's take just a, a quick break um, before we come back and cover some news and go because it's getting late. And again, I apologize that I started the show late. I'll see you guys in just a bit. The sweet dreams are made of this. Who am I to disagree? I travel the world and the seven seas. Everybody is looking for something. Some of them want to use you. Some of them want to get used by you. Some of them want to abuse you. Some of them want to be Sweet dreams. <laughs> Sweet dreams. That's it. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. You know, we forget the word compassion. When we're angry, we don't uh, find avenues to provide compassion to people and what they're going through. We draw hard lines when we shouldn't because we wouldn't want to have hard lines drawn on us. Hard lines are something that we shouldn't be drawing because then we're blinded. Our cognitive liberties have been hijacked for a very, very long time. They have been taking every uh, post that we put, every like and dislike, and created algorithms. Do you think that they had not predicted that you will fight back on mask mandates? Of course they did. Did you think that they would not predict that people would be fighting back for mandatory vaccines? I, I want you to really focus on what I'm telling you now. Of course they did. If I was able to predict it, little old me, they could. What they can't do is mitigate your actions. You can think you don't like this. You can think this. But one thing that they know is that people draw hard lines. I don't know if any of you have... Um, watch the show Dexter ever, but it was about a guy that liked killing and he felt good doing it, but he would only kill bad people in order to control his rage, but he enjoyed killing and took tokens, you know, the prizes, right? You know, there's extensive studies on how people will respond. And human beings are extremely predictable to one sense. If you have a hundred people, you can accurately predict predict 64 to 67% how they will act as a collective, right? So 64, 67 people will uh, pretty much act the same. And the one thing is, is the hard lines. People like to draw hard lines when they're put under pressure, right? They're put under pressure and they draw hard lines. But one thing I've always said is in predictive analytics, <laughs> you cannot treat humans as an absolute value, but only as a node. 
The reason I say this is, is when people in tap into the compassion, no matter how evil someone is, no matter how disgusting their actions are, but they see through the evil face of Pelosi, see through the eyebrows that are going into her hairline, see through her expensive taste in ice cream, see through her lies of decades controlling, you know, <laughs> your fate as a citizen. Inside, there is still a soul that is made from the same fabric as yours. Inside, there is a person, just a little, little, little speck of good in there that says, well, you know, I'm over here now. Well, fuck it. You know, and they just keep doing what they're doing. We need to not formulate these hard lines, but that, that by no means does that mean that you don't set boundaries, right? You need to be able to have that discernment of boundaries. Boundaries. You set boundaries, but you don't put hard lines because hard lines is what the left is doing. You're not getting vaccinated. You should get, you should die, right? We should put you in the oven. You shouldn't be allowed to shop food because you won't do it. That's that's a hard line. A uh, boundary would be, you know what? I respect your decision to not get it. I feel extremely uncomfortable that you're not getting the vaccine, but I am going to wear my mask and I'm going to get vaccinated and do my part because I believe that is it. And you can do yours, but I do not like it. And I will not associate with people like that, but I will not devalue you as a person because you do not agree with me. Now I'm just bringing up Pelosi as an example. doesn't mean it's about her. I'm saying that inside everything, even demons, right? They used to be, they're all creations of God. <laughs> Think of it. So inside a screaming, rabid, angry person is a scared. I want you to think of a man in your mind that's angry and rattling at a cage, screaming, rah, right? Inside, though, if you look past all of that, is a scared little boy, upset, sucking his thumb in the corner. If people could see people like that, it, the world would be a totally different place, okay? A totally different place. Because instead of setting hard lines, you set your own personal boundaries, not a hard line. That's number one, right? So, you know, uh, bickering and stuff, fighting, people get into these petty things, right? Everybody gets petty. I get petty. But you have to see past that. You have to, you know, at some point be like, all right, I'm not going to be petty anymore, right? I'm just, you know, I feel bad. But then sometimes you get overwhelmed with pettiness. And you're like, you know what? I really don't give a shit. <laughs> but when we're talking about our nation and our children's future and how we are, we have to try to think of how they are, you know, all these articles coming out, you know, 
people are getting HIV. Some of the COVID vaccines are getting HIV. Now we're getting HIV that's like, you know, on steroids, um, you know, all these things, right? All these things, HIV, 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 HIV. And it's like, yeah, I freaking told you so. You know, people are going to be, oh, you didn't spell it out. <laughs> I can't. Rules of engagement. I'm sorry. Super, super way it goes. But the bottom line is it's because people draw hard lines. You'd be able to listen to things better if you didn't have hard lines. Hard lines cause biases, right? There are a lot of people on the left that um, speak common sense. But because you have a hard line, you're not listening. There are a lot of people that you dislike. That you'll be surprised they're on your side because they feel the same way. But you don't see it because of hard lines. No one can tell you what to do or what to think. <laughs> Something called free will. So it's important that you take that. So I'm going to take you back in time to seven years ago where Vice President Biden had a conversation with the newly elected president of Ukraine. Now, I'm, I, you know, someone posted this, um, this graphic, one year anniversary of, um, Tori says, remember time hopping, um, in that episode, I said, the Ukraine will be their downfall. And this was from 2019, when people kind of knew about Ukraine, but didn't know about Ukraine. And I said, I even wrote an article. I think it was like the Ukraine is their Hiroshima, an article where it had like a big bomb in the background in the picture. <laughs> right. And it's not because you didn't know about Ukraine. It's because you don't read anymore. You have hard lines. I mean, a lot of you were like, gateway pundit. Have you ever seen an, there's very few times that Hoft actually writes an article. It's usually like two sentences from somewhere else and then post. It's all about clicks and, and tweets and, and shares, right? Uh, the, you know, the American conservative, I think, writes really good um, in-depth articles sometimes. Um, Town Hall does too. They write some good things too. But people don't read anymore and they don't pay attention to the details. Um, and Quid Pro Joe, you know, this is one of the most important interviews that tells you a lot. And I want you to hear it with your own ears today because you couldn't hear it seven years ago. Remember, this is, you know, about a year after Joe Biden sat down and told them, we're not giving you a billion dollars of aid. If you don't do what I say, and you could call Obama, he gave me full reign to do this shit. Remember quid pro Joe, right? And then months later, Barack Hussein Obama signed a bill to aid them, right? Which was, you know, 50 million, 75 million. It's in my affidavit anyway, because that's really important. That was a very important moment in time. That was a time where they actually made it public record suckers. So he put it there and, and, and we sent them. 250 permanent employees and 1,200 
uh, temporary employees. I, I believe it was 1,200 off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure that was the number that was sent. Um, but I, I don't know if the document off the top of my head that Obama wrote was more or less around the same number. So we can help them usher elections to ensure that the guy that needed election, which is standing right next to Joe Biden, was elected. So here they are a few months after the election and, you know, right, um, right before the election, his son, Hunter Biden, around the time there was appointed to the board of Burisma. And, you know, <laughs> listen to the conversation. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, it's, uh, and thank, thank you for welcoming me, me once again. Uh, this is my third trip in the last seven months. You must be getting tired of seeing me as often as you do. And counting your trip to Washington, this is the first, fourth time we've met in person. And uh, and if anyone measures importance by the effort America's putting into this relationship on making sure that the Ukrainian government is democratically elected leaders, making sure that uh, you have international support. Uh, this is so right off the bat, four times in one year they meet, three times before he's elected or two times before he's elected and one after, and reinforces the fact that he was democratically elected. Pretty good place to start. And uh, Mr. President, uh, you've shown tremendous leadership under extraordinary, extraordinarily difficult conditions. And today, uh, on this day of dignity and remembrance, I want to congratulate all Ukrainians uh, on last month's successful parliamentary elections which were overwhelmingly endorsed by Ukrainians as well as the entire international community as being fair and free. And I want to congratulate you again, Mr. President. This is uh, an important uh, moment, a chance uh, to make good on the promise of 25 years ago when the Iron Curtain came down. Uh, the sacrifices that brave Ukrainians uh, uh, who are even now defending against Russian aggression uh, in the East uh, to make good on the uh, efforts of thousands, thousands of unsung heroes, civil society activists, ordinary citizens uh, who are trying to preserve a... Huh. Did you hear that? So first of all, he talked about, oh, look, they were fair and free. And it's dignity. What dignity does that president have standing there next to Joe Biden, knowing that, you know, he bought his way in there? That's disgusting. Just looking at it, you're just like, what a shame now that we know, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the guy that sits there and professes, you know, oh, I love my girlfriend. And in the back as he's talking and making a toast to his girlfriend that he just proposed to, there's a video of him five minutes ago banging some chick randomly in the bathroom, right? This is what you're visualizing right now. This is him saying, you know, uh, oh, yeah, you know, it's so, you know, and there's a video in the background right now in your mind. And you're like, what a loser, dude. You got a billion dollars from them just to sit down. Not only that, he disclosed uh, George Soros involvement in civil society. <laughs> Where have we heard that before? Seven years ago, that didn't ring much bells. Right. But now it makes sense. If you listen carefully, everybody tells you who they are. Hmm. When someone tells you who they are, believe them. Normal life in Donbass, uh, preventing uh, and preserving their freedom uh, in cities like uh, 
Mariupol, and of course, the promise of those long nights on the Madan, uh, freezing and facing down sniper fire. You're a remarkable people, the Ukrainian people. You're a brave people. And you've demonstrated that once again to the whole world. And through your courage and your sacrifice, uh, Ukrainians have won, you've won for yourself a chance to, uh, to fundamentally, to fundamentally alter the history of uh, your country for the better, much better. So I want to urge all you to seize this moment, take advantage of the momentum of this day, and keep building the democracy that you so desperately and richly deserve. Keep moving your country forward. Today, uh, the president and I discussed uh, uh, all the work that's ahead. We uh, spoke about the threat to Ukrainian sovereignty and territorial integrity posed by Russian aggression. It's simply unacceptable in the 21st century for countries to attempt to redraw borders by force in Europe or anywhere for that matter, or to intervene militarily because they don't like a decision their neighbor has made. In fact, Russian behavior represents a flagrant violation of the bedrock principles of our international system, which is why the international community has responded with one voice, amplifying your voice, Mr. President, the voice of all Ukrainians, helping Ukrainians defend their sovereignty and their security, the security of your nation. The international community condemning Russian actions, expanding security assistance to Ukraine, imposing greater and greater costs on Russia for its illegal actions, and refusing, refusing to accept the so-called elections held by separatists on November the 2nd. These weren't democratic elections. They were Kremlin orchestrated farce. And let me say as clearly and categorically as I can, America does not and will not recognize Russian occupation and attempted annexation of Crimea. We do not, will not, and insist others do not accept this illegal annexation. Now, there's a different path for Russia and her proxies, a different path they can take. In fact, it's a path that uh, has already been signed on into paper via the Minsk agreement that the president spoke of. A series of concrete commitments adhere to the ceasefire, which they are not. Restore Ukrainian control over its own borders with a permanent monitoring at the border. Remove now illegal military formations, military equipment, and militants, and facilitate the release of all hostages. That's what was agreed to by Mr. Putin. None of that has occurred. If Russia were to... So this was from seven years ago. 
Let me tell you about that because that's actually in the news now. What he's referring to is the Minx Accords that were actually signed in 2014, 2015. Saki can tell you a lot about that because she was a secretary, the, the State Department, and she was um, helping relay with the Ukrainian desk. But let me tell you about this. These agreements are so weird. I remember back in 2014 um, when they were being drafted, actually late 2013, they were being drafted. It was the most bizarre thing. They were blaming Russia for Ukrainians that wanted to identify with Russia. Kind of, you remember the Crimea show that I did, where I showed you how the Crimeans, um, you know, um, this is from seven years ago. This, this, this is from seven years ago. Okay. And now we're talking about the same thing seven years later. Oh man, that impeach 44 looks so good. I could taste the peach part. Um, well, basically those agreements were kind of telling holding Russia accountable for people that lived in Ukraine, specifically Donbar, saying that Russia is the one doing this, making those Ukrainians, those, those Ukrainians want to identify with Russia, right? <laughs> but pay attention. So it's kind of holding Russia accountable for shit. Ukraine, people that live in Ukraine are doing and Russia's like, you know, I don't know how you can have me admit to being party to the issue that they're having because Ukraine was just given away and you just cut it out and gave it. And the Crimeans already chose because they had hardline borders um, and they identified separately because you just gave away Crimea. Right. But Ukraine had at that point taken the side of the U.S. and 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 the European Union. They wanted to be part of the, the new experiment of this economic, you know, um, Gestapo, you know, basically every nation that takes part gives up their right to their uh, nation's economy. That's basically it. Like I said, uh, those were packets galore. That's what they were called, where they were giving out to people like in Italy. If someone had a farm of like mint, they'd be like, no, no you're not allowed to do mint. Mint is now being done in Denmark. Uh, here's some money and change your farm, even though you've been doing this for three centuries and you're going to be planting carrots because we said so. Or how they took away the fisheries from London, uh, from from uh, the coastal, the eastern coastal sides and said, yeah, that water around that area in Dover doesn't belong to you. You're not cod fishing anymore. We're giving it to the to the Dutch. And they're like, oh, what do you mean? We've been, you know, 10 generations fishermen here. Uh, we're, the Dutch aren't going to take our cod. We're fishermen. Yeah, you're not going to be fishing there anymore. Sorry. <laughs> Bye. So the economic zone is what Ukraine at that time chose. But there were a lot of people there that said, no, fuck that. I don't want to be aligned with these European cronies. They're going to own our ass. I don't want to be uh, going from one communist nation to another one. I'd rather be in a federation where I, I identify as Ukrainian and, and I was always part of Russia. And, and that's where I want to be. So there was conflict, right, in that nation. So it was so bizarre that they were trying to hold them accountable and that Putin agreed to it, but he wouldn't even admit to being part of this stuff. But what he did say is, I'm not going to put shit on the border. That's fair. As long as you don't fuck with me, I don't fuck with you because that makes you closer to me. So I'm good. So what's really weird is, uh, you know, the Minsk uh, uh, agreement has, uh, you know, it could be influenced by, you know, the, you know, the intelligence of Russia to, to gaslight uh, the people, yes, that could be true, right? But there's no evidence of that. So they're just making shit up. So I don't know how these agreements can even stand when they're, it's, it's kind of like, you know, 
let's see, kind of like you're in high school, right? And, um, you know, it's like, oh man, you know, the cheerleaders are fighting with the, with the stoner and, and you are the skateboarders and they're like, Hey, skateboarders, you got to sign this agreement that you won't fight with the cheerleaders, um, you know, at all. And you're going to tell your stoner skateboarder girls to not fight with the cheerleaders. And you're like, look, I I don't control what they do. They're the stoner skateboarders. They're not only skateboarders. So I can't control what they do, but you know, you might as a skateboarder be like, Oh, look at them with their little tiny skirts jumping around and flying in the air. And then you piss them off and then they're fighting again. It's kind of like that. I'm trying to give you a more pedestrian example so you can understand how they tried to make it look like, Hey, Russia, you're responsible. And Russia's like, I'm a skateboarder. I'm not a skateboarder and, uh, you know, a stoner. So I can't control, uh, the stoners that are skateboarders that are, you know, having beef with the cheerleaders like, uh, but okay, I promise not to fight with you, but you know, I don't know about them. They're not my business. That's basically what these agreements are. And this is what he's talking about seven years ago that he successfully did. He did successfully nothing except for make record that they're trying to blame the fact that Ukrainians don't want to be in the EU on the Russians. That's basically it. That's the bottom line, right? Um, so it's, it's just, it's so dumb. It makes no sense. But Russia did say, you want me to night fight? All right, here's what happens. I don't want NATO. I don't want Ukraine to be on NATO because that gives you full, you know, ease of access into my waters and my borders. So for that, I'll agree. I'll, I won't, I won't fight with Ukraine as long as they're not part of NATO. The minute you start encroaching on there and you're starting to say NATO, game on. And this is exactly what's going on now. Just, just trying to make it clear. And actually, Kurt Volker, gave an interview with Axios today. And he even said, hold on. He said, um, because he was the U.S. rep 2017 to 2019 in Ukraine. And he said, the agreements are deeply flawed, citing their ambiguity and the fact that Russia won't even admit to be party of the conflict. The way I approached this was that the only way this ever gets done, actual peace, is if Russia changes its mind and decides that they want to end a war. He said, if it was wrong for the West to push Ukraine to continue making unilateral concessions on Minsk, I think Ukraine has already done everything it can do. We ought to be pushing Russia to implement things. So these are the things that they're talking about now. Exactly that. It's just, it's the way Obama held Ukraine by the cojones. I elected you. You're going to shut up and sign this agreement. We're going to have this so we can have Russia where we want it. And that's the way it's going to go. And when I'm, and when we're in full and stronger position as a global government, we're going to trash it. This is in between the lines. Listen carefully. To fulfill these commitments and respect Ukrainian sovereignty and territorial integrity, we can begin a rational discussion about sanctions. But that's not what has happened. Instead, we've seen more provocative actions, more blatant disregard for the agreement that was signed not long ago by Russia. And so long as that continues, Russia will face rising cost, greater isolation. <coughs> it's quite straightforward and simple.
There's a way to change all that. Do what you agreed to do, Mr. Putin. But as President Poroshenko and I have discussed, even if the guns in the East fell silent tomorrow, Ukraine would still face a struggle for its democratic and economic future here in Kiev. There's a lot of work to do in Kiev. It begins with forming a new government in days, not weeks. Form a new government as quickly as possible. It should be done in days, not weeks. Push forward the reform agenda that has been agreed upon and the Ukrainian people, an agenda that the Ukrainian people have so resoundingly endorsed. Stronger democratic institutions, a more accountable government, greater integration with Europe, more prosperous economy, and resolute efforts to root out the cancer of corruption that has hobbled Ukraine for a long time. It will face no more consequential mission than confronting corruption. President Poroshenko has shown a seriousness of purpose and the RADA has passed important anti-corruption legislation. Now, the real challenge is seeing it through. Later today, I'll be meeting with members of the parliament and civil society to talk about how we, the United States, can work with you, can work with them, and work together to maintain the momentum in this all-important fight. The president and I also discussed Ukraine's economic situation. President Poroshenko and Prime Minister Yatsenyuk have worked very hard to develop a reform program with the IMF. The president and I have met with the IMF as well regarding Ukraine. Let me assure you, as Ukraine continues on this course, international partners will step up and help, starting with the United States. We're working closely with international institutions to make sure Ukraine has the financial resources and support that it needs. And as we do, we're looking for opportunities to improve Ukraine's business climate and increase trade and investment. But it all depends on following through on the reforms which have begun. And finally, I want to make clear America's commitment to Ukraine is not just about business and governments. It's personal. It's grounded in the friendship between our people. And in the next few months, American Peace Corps volunteers will be returning to Ukraine to continue the work they have done more for more than 20 years. Building a democracy is difficult. Building a democracy takes patience. Building a democracy requires follow through on the rhetoric that sounds so good when it's asserted. Hard work, ironclad determination, these are what is needed. And even then there is no absolute guarantee of success. It's hard work.
What I can guarantee is that so long as, Mr. President, you and your colleagues keep faith with your commitment to build a more democratic and prosperous life, you will never be alone. The United States will be at your side, your partner, and your friend. Well, Mr. President, may God bless you and your colleagues and the people of Ukraine on this important day of dignity. The day they lost their dignity, right? The day they lost their dignity. That's basically what it was. The day they lost their dignity. Now, before I close today with something very close to me, um, I thought I would just mention that Peter Navarro has now been subpoenaed uh, to um, the J6 committee, uh, which is, you know, just enjoy the show. It'll all come to where it needs to be. Because in the end, God wins. Good wins. And it just had to be this way. Or else we would be in the same place again in no time flat. Now, I wanted to say that one of my, uh, as you guys know, I have a chess table. I really enjoy chess a lot. One of my favorite moves um, in chess is an opening that oh, very few people can defend. It's actually setting the board on fire with it. That's literally what it's called. So the video that I'm going to play now is on YouTube called The Queen Sacrifice on F7. Set the board on fire. I'd like to share that with you. Hi, this is Mato. Welcome, Welcome to my online chess lecture. In this video, I will show you a game between Efin Gala and Yuri Anikaev. This is a game from the Soviet Union Championship played in Minsk in 1979. Anything important happened to you in 1979. Gala had white pieces and he started with E4. Anikaev played the Sicilian defense, knight to F3. E6, D4. C takes on D4. Knight takes on D4. Knight to F6. Knight to C3. D6. The Scheveningen variation. Bishop to E2. Bishop to E7. And both players cast at king's side. F4. This is the main line. Knight to C6. Bishop to E3. A6. Controlling B5 square. A4, preventing B5 later on. Bishop to D7, Bishop to F3, Knight to A5, on the way to C4, maybe. Queen to E2, Queen to C7, white to move. G4, this was a novelty at that time. Rook from F to C8, G5, Knight to E8, F5. Knight to c4, bishop to h5, g6, f takes on g6, f takes on g6, queen to f2, threatening queen to f7 check. 
knight to e5, defending f7 square, knight to f3, attacking the defender, knight to g7, knight takes on e5, black to move, rook to f8 was played, if d takes on e5, then queen to f7 check, and after king to h8, queen takes on e7, and white stands better. Back to our game. Rook to f8. Preventing queen to f7 check. And attacking the queen. What is the best square for the queen? What would you do? Gala played knight to f7. Knight takes on h5. The material is now equal. And Anna Kiev probably thought that he has everything under control. But there was a surprise. White to move. What would you do in this position if you had white pieces? Are you ready to see the move? Yellow blade, knight to d5. What is this? Believe it or not, this is the killer move. E takes on d5. Can you see the purpose of this move? Black won a piece, but weakened the dark squares along a1, h8 diagonal. The game continued. Knight to h6, king to g7. White to move. What now? What would you do? Are you ready to see the move? Gala played the queen to f7. Check. What is this a blunder? Anikaev happily captured the queen. Rook takes rook check. King to h8. White move. And to play a move that is asking to be played. Bishop to d4 check. By now it is absolutely clear why white sacrificed the knight. If the black pawn was on e6, Black would play e5. Anikaev blocked the check with bishop, but white played a move and black resigned, and the move is rook takes bishop. Anikaev resigned. If knight takes on f6, then bishop takes on f6 checkmate. And let's go back. How about knight to g7? If knight to g7, one line goes like this. Rook to f7, threatening, bishop takes knight checkmate. After rook to g8, bishop takes on g7, check, rook takes bishop, rook to f8, check, rook to g8, rook takes rook, the Arabian checkmate. Wow, what an amazing game. What do you think of this game? That's how you set a board on fire. You sacrifice your queen, making it look like a mistake. And then it's only just a few moves until you have checkmate. So on that note, I want to wish everyone a fantastic evening. I will see you guys tomorrow on time because <laughs> everything's updated today. <laughs> and um, I actually um, am hoping to have um, the information on Hong Kong and Stone Co. Uh, tomorrow for you. Uh, it's uh Pretty fascinating because when I hear, oh, you know, it's just Hong Kong, it's like, yeah, can't touch this.
That's not how it works. Can't touch this. Can't touch this. Can't touch this. Can't touch this. Oh,